Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey guys, it's Josh and Carol with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thoughts. Today, we are talking about all sorts of things. We're covering your questions, and you can tell we're a little tired, we're a little punchy. We've uh, we've had a long harvest season, it feels like, and a lot of good hard work this fall, getting lots of stuff ready for winter. So, <laughs> so we're feeling a little punchy this morning, but we're going to be answering your questions that have come in in different places. We are, we're talking about meat in the compost, water glassing eggs today, prepping the homestead for winter, making lard, butter. You guys have got some great questions here. Um, a lot of pantry type stuff, which is a good thing to be thinking about right now. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. So good. But first, what are you up to? What's your days looking like right now? Ah, well, it is officially the change in the season. We are now out of the garden. Pretty, I mean, we've got a few kind of fall winter greens still hanging in. We're, we're harvesting some spinach tonight, but yes. we're expecting snow this week. Chard, too. Don't you have some chard under, chard. under the roads, uh, the hoops on the terraces? No, no chard under the hoops, mm. but we do have lots of kind of winter lettuces and uh, mustard, green and snow. And... Uh, stuff yeah green wave so that's, it's so almost november coming. here and we're harvesting you know in north idaho and we're harvesting greens you yeah. can do this yeah yeah absolutely so anyways because of that change though we're mostly indoors and uh we're we're full steam ahead on homeschool and so that's really <laughs> we're getting a lot done in those books but then there's the things that kind of all came in right at the end of the harvest uh apples apple cider we've been mm. canning apple cider this week yeah. we've got uh, cabbages getting turned into sauerkraut right now so we've got a lot of things going on that's just kind of a trickle in from the harvest and um and then we're gonna have to turn our attention a little bit to just getting everything a bit organized because yeah. with everything coming in so fast sometimes it it's to be a bit of a mess. So um, we need a really solid kitchen scrub down, clean, like deep cleaning <laughs> after all the preserving that's happened in there. And um, the pantry needs a real good organization. And hey, I should do, I haven't done a video on um, what's in the pantry this year. Okay, yeah. Good. I should do that real soon here so yeah. I can take you guys on a tour. Yeah, Maybe I'll wait until it's like I can walk through the pantry because we've picked it up enough that I can share it with you. Well, it's kind of cool because the pantry's you, you focused on some different things this year. Yeah. And it is looking a little, it's full, but looking a little different. Yeah. Yeah. It is. 
So I'll film a video for you guys coming up here, a pantry tour. So Very cool. So yeah, that's a lot of what we've been up to on my side. What about you? You know, a lot of the same, um, helping get some of those <laughs> crops in and potatoes and root crops. And so those potatoes are curing down in the basement and uh, onions we had curing in the barn. Those just weren't quite curing anymore. Just got cool and damp. Really late onions that we brought in. They were the last of them because most of our onions are well cured and tucked away. What's in there? The white onions, which is really strange. Those went so late, but you know, we let the onions go until they start to fall down, right? When you start to get that natural process of them breaking, and um, this year the white onions they just, just held on, and so we rolled with it. And they're nice, they're big, nice looking onions, mm -hmm. but anyways, they're curing also. So we had to get those out of the barn because we're doing the same thing in the barn, we're tidying up, uh, getting things ready to bring in a load of shavings that uh, we can get under roof out of the snow this year. Instead of shoveling the snow off of the tarp and getting the shavings, which we use for, uh, you know, carbon, the, as Joel Salatin would say, the carbonaceous diaper in the barn, <laughs> adding lots of carbon. That's how you keep your barn clean and build compost during the winter, doing some deep bedding. So we're getting ready for that. Every year we step forward to so this year, we're going to get the cracked corn and we're going to layer that in. Chickens are going to help us take care of the barn and keep it even and break some of that down. But then the pigs will go in there in the spring and uh, root it up and compost it. Now so, we have the Cooney Coonies and they're, theoretically fairly non -breeding. they will not be doing that they job will not be doing right that. but they are slow growers and we're figuring them out um and so there's still a place for a couple of good um bacon pigs so what way i'm going to term it because the coonies are good fat pigs which we wanted lard pigs we wanted not breeding pigs they're a good fit for for what we wanted to do for breeding but i think we'll still probably bring in you know a couple of rooting pigs each year and put them to work to help us compost and manage the barn and yeah we can still get some nice slabs of bacon that aren't you know traditional bacon is very fatty it's very thick we're not used to that today mm -hmm. but but old world bacon is actually a slab of fat with a little bit of meat in it <laughs> and we're going to get that we haven't butchered the coonies yet we're going to be doing that in a few weeks so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out i think that's going to be a little more traditional bacon right but I like my bacon with meat in it. And so I realized I think we still want to keep a couple of those pigs going. Anyway, so we're doing the same thing, just getting getting the property ready. We got the barn addition roof on just in time before the weather came in because we've got all our hay and our Yay. feed uh, stored. But that just, that's just some nice improvements in the system. So we're kind of sweeping up from all the projects and uh, getting ready to get tucked in because the rain is here and it looks like it's just going to turn to snow without even a break in the weather. So it's looking, starting out, coming in like a lion. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. Well, and we've got some people out hunting. Uh, it's hunting season. Yeah, we have people out elk hunting today. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the boys are out. I want to be out yeah. elk hunting. I got you stuck right here. <laughs> it's, it's good to be here. But got so much to do. I'm glad those guys can get out and go. Because yeah. we, we could use for a little light on beef, a little light on a few things this year. Yeah. Uh, so we can use a little extra meat from the wild. There you go. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. So well, that's, that's what's happening here. Just rolling along. That's exciting stuff. Now, um, there was one project that I meant to keep you guys updated on, and I kind of missed a beat there, and that was my oil sunflowers. I've been talking about this. These are an mm. experiment this year. I bought an oil press because I'm working on ways to get an actual oil, like a salad oil. Okay. Yep. 
into production. You know, I we're, we do a great job producing lard, producing butter, but I really don't want melted lard on my salads if I can't get olive oil for some reason. Not, so. <laughs> that is not. There's a lot of good places for sar- lard, and that's not on the salad. There's not so many. And so that's a place you really do want a good oil. And I know where there's a lot, you know, anti-seed oils, which is appropriate when you're store buying it. But I think if they're very, very fresh mm-hmm. seed oils, they can be great for limited amounts of use, like in a uh, salad. And so all of my, I planted black oil seed sunflowers mm-hmm. and, um, and we harvested those. Those are just drying down a little bit more in the kitchen and then we'll be getting ready to do a trial run on the oil press all right so, anyways that's exciting that's just a whole nother little cool thing that you came up with and that i've never even thought of, of doing on the homestead but being able to make our own oil like that it becomes and, really and sunflowers are easy to grow i don't right. know it'll be interesting to see how the process goes of harvesting and getting them all converted into the oil but um, most places, sunflowers are grow pretty well, right? So you can grow a lot of them, and that, that's a really good resource. Yeah, if it this really whole is. process turns out good, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Hey, and if you're wondering why the shiny grayish whatever background <laughs> today, we are actually in town. We're in the office. We have some of the homesteading family team members in town today because they live on their places all over country and so we've got a few people in and we're planning for 2023 and looking at uh, what we're going to be doing and, mm-hmm. and uh, what we're going to be adding or focusing on so anyways we're in the office today and uh, this is our little cave in an old bank vault this is actually all concrete bank vault we're in so it's kind of cool it's a little rustic it is um, but anyway so we're not in the pantry we're in the we're in the concrete bunker <laughs> but if you guys have ever written in to uh, support at homesteadingfamily.com, you may have talked to Robin or to Callie. Mm-hmm. If you've ever done a uh, video interview, uh, for those of you guys who are students inside any of our classes, uh, you may have talked to Annie and they're here with us getting to hang out. So that's a lot of fun to get to have everybody in person and get to visit with them. So. Okay, but we are jumping into questions today, so we better jump right in because I actually have, inside the membership this morning, I have a live video with Mary from Mary's Nest coming over to talk about all sorts of fun things. So anyways, I have to make it to that, so we don't have a lot of time. Good, well, let's 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 move along here. (laughs) Okay, I think the first one's your read. Okay. Uh, Hanako on meat in your compost mm-hmm. video. If you don't harvest animals, would you suggest buying offal to add to your compost or just add it if you have it kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a cool question and appreciate your thinking. If you're, you're not raising animals, you don't have that resource. And um, it is not at all a necessity for composting. Uh, and I did that video more to show what you can do with your extra resources. Because a lot of times we're paying somebody, if we do have animals on the property and we're butchering, or even if we were butchering ourselves, a lot of people aren't really thinking about it and you're paying to haul it away, or you're burying it in a hole somewhere. Um, and so it's more to show what can be done and it's a good use of resource and you definitely can. So do you need to go buy offal or anything? No, not re- no, you don't. Um, you know, hopefully 
you've got some green manure. There's a lot of good argument that green manure, you know, added your compost, the biology that that adds makes a better compost all the way through. But that's a that's a very nuanced discussion within, you know, just composting. And so I like to recommend that. But I like the just added if you have it kind of thing. I like that perspective of work with what you have accessible to you, compost with what you can get inexpensively, you know, good, you want good, clean, you know, hopefully organic type materials, but use what you have. And if you can get access to these things, then great, add them in. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Let's see here. Uh, Alan. Wow. Okay. <laughs> sorry. We're working off the computer and my computer is often set to shut down. I'll have to keep it moving. Um, Alan on water glassing eggs. Can I reuse the solution over again and refill the bucket. Ah, so for this, we're talking about the lime solution that is used for um, for liming eggs. And you know, this is the first year that at this point I have not limed any eggs um, in years, many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I should do that. So we have some fresh, some good backup uh, for but... fried eggs and things like that as the chickens start to slow down. But um, but no, you really don't want to reuse the solution. You want to go ahead and pour that out and refill the bucket when you're ready to do a new year of eggs. The uh, the lime water in there is great for disinfecting things and especially for uh, ridding areas of pests. It's what they used to use to clean their pantries at the end of the year. And I don't mean the, the, the leftovers from the water glassing particularly. I just mean the lime solution. Um, and they would clean that down because it's so antimicrobial and the insects just really don't like it that it helps to kind of sterilize. I want to say that loosely. It's not a technical sterilization, but it, it really does clean an area and kind of cut the germs way, way back. So to use that solution, you can go pour it around your chicken coop edges. That's a great way. It'll cut back the mites uh, or any problems with chicken lice or anything that you might be getting in your chicken coop. You can scrub areas down with it. If you have an area where you have ant problems or anything like that, you know, you can just walk around the, the uh, exterior perimeter of your house and just pour a line of this stuff right on down to keep mm. insects and things from coming yeah, in yeah. that way. So there's a lot that you can do with it, but I would not reuse it another time for eggs. You just don't want it to get to the solution changes as it sits, you know, either you've, you're losing some water to evaporation or, um, you know, something like that's happening in the process. And so it's better just to start fresh. Cool. Good. How about that one? Okay. Number three. Mm -hmm. Prepared Mama on preparing the homestead for winter. Uh, one of our last pantry chats. Yeah. Could I cover my dirt in my garden with hay for the winter? I'm in Utah at about 6,800 feet. You just said the word. I'm sorry, Mary. No. Pre prepared Mama. The word? You, you said the trigger word for Josh, which is dirt. Oh, I was going to overlook that. <laughs> you were, you were overlooking it. Yeah, that's very that. good. That's well, good. Some people have to start with dirt. Hopefully you're building soil. Dirt is dead. <laughs> so that's an inside joke there. That, but that is truth. That dirt is dead. Dirt, hopefully you don't have uh, dirt for garden soil. But if you do, you just, you're building, you want to turn that dirt into soil. Soil has living organisms in it. 
And that is what is, is essential. Industrial farming, farm and dirt. They look at dirt as just a structure and then they, they give all the external synthetic inputs. Um, but we want to build soil. So, but by mulching, which is essentially what you're talking about there and putting that hay down, you are, you know, hopefully converting your dirt to soil. And uh, yes, you can do that with the hay. I recommend be careful about the seed heads that are in it. If it's hay that matured with seed heads in it, you're going to be planting a lot of hay seed in your vegetable garden and you probably don't want that. Um, so you do have to be careful with that on hay. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a good mulch. So if it was harvested at the right time, that is great. Now, if you're mulching like that and you are dealing with, uh, well, you should be amending your soil no matter what anyways every year. So put down some compost. If you are you know, gardening on dirt and really needing to build it up, put down a lot of compost and any amendments uh, and then mulch. And uh, as much as you can put on six to eight inches, but if you've got two or three inches worth, that's better than nothing. And certainly a great way to put that uh, garden to bed for the winter. I should really change this bit. <laughs> so I know straw has a lot of concerns about chemicals in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe hay has quite a few. Hay does. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger challenge. We're finding that um, more and more of these broadleaf herbicides are getting sprayed. And the hay, the grasses can survive it. Um, but broadleaf vegetables can't, which most of what we're growing in the garden are, are considered broadleaf vegetables. And so you do need to really, really be careful with your hay in that case and make sure that it is not sprayed. It doesn't have to be organic, but it needs to be not sprayed. So with anything, you got to know your source and you got to know if they're trustworthy. A lot of people say, yeah, 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 no, it's not sprayed. Um, you you got to have confidence in that. And, and so hopefully you've got a good referral or you know your hay farmer or you can pull some references or, or something uh, to verify that a little bit. So glad you brought that out because that is becoming more and more of a problem for people. Yeah. And it really just depends on the region that you live in. Um, but if you're just buying it, like if you're buying hay to mulch with, one, that's a little expensive way to mulch, but if that's what you can do, great. Just you know, know the source. Make sure somebody can confirm to you that that has not been sprayed with any of the broadleaf herbicides. There you go. Okay, let's see here. Moving on, Deborah Scott on a whole year's worth of lard in one day. I love it when we get have a day like that. We just get so much. Oh, done. so much done. Yeah, yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a good good use of time. Did I understand you're putting some jars into the freezer? This is jars of lard. Is she understanding correctly? She put some jars into the freezer and will they not burst? Uh, great question. You know, I had the hardest time for a long time uh, with jar breakage in the freezer. And then I finally just took a little bit of time to think about it and understand what's going on. It kind of comes down to jar anatomy. So you can very successfully freeze with glass, including mason jars, canning jars of all type. You just have to think about the way that something expands when it's in the freezer. So, um, you know, just assume expansion is going to happen. The thing is, is that jars have a nice curvy shape up at the top. Mm -hmm. If you go buy jars that are specifically for freezer, like freezer jams or things like that, they're always totally straight. And, and this is the key is because if you're taking your regular mouth jars and they have that nice sloping shoulder bell, neck there, yeah, bird. kind of that bell up the top. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to make sure you count your headspace 
as starting at the beginning of that curve. So you want to make sure that you don't have um, any food about an inch below, above an inch below that curve, if that makes any sense at all. You got to make sure you just stay well away from the curve in the jar. Because that's where, as your food expands, if it's already up to the level of the shoulders there, um, as it expands, it doesn't really have anywhere to go. Even yeah, though technically the there's jar space at the top, as it gets more and more frozen, it's more and more of a solid force pushing up into that glass, and that's where you're going to get your cracking. So just make sure when you're thinking about headspace for freezer foods, that's every bit as important as it is for canned goods for if you're going to store them on your shelf, but you count the top of the jar as wherever the curve starts, not the actual rim of the jar. Once you do that, then yes, you can freeze in those jars. You can freeze broth, you can freeze lard, you can freeze jams, you can freeze all sorts of things in there and you won't have a problem. Alternately, get a completely straight sided jar, which would be like, you know, a wide mouth pint would be generally most wide mouth pints you can buy. It's completely straight right up through the neck and up to the rim. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Those are some good tips right there. Like it. <laughs> Hard one. <laughs> Once you've cleaned glass and melting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Freezer. <laughs> no good. Let's see here. Bonnie Mosley on how to make butter three different ways. Can you make ghee from your homemade butter and you Absolutely. might want to let some people know what ghee is yeah people aren't familiar with that so ghee is the shelf stable form of butter and that's where you're removing all the dairy proteins out of the butter so you know when you have lard and you render your lard you're removing all of the meat proteins all you know pretty much all the proteins out of the fat in the lard same thing with tallow because those don't store well. They can't be shelf-stable like that. They don't handle heat well. Those proteins, they start to go bad, right? That's where the bacteria lives mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and so making ghee is essentially just rendering your butter. It's where you're melting it down and you're pulling off all of the dairy solids, all the milk solids out of your butter and leaving just pure um, butter fat. And... That makes the butter shelf stable for long periods of time. It does a lot of different things to them. It helps people in places where it's very hot and they don't have great refrigeration. Um, ghee is a very, very common food uh, fat to be cooking with. And it's just a clarified butter that has had all the solids removed out of it and all of the milk protein. So, yes, you can absolutely do that. Very cool. Okay, here's a, uh, another one on how to make butter three different ways, okay. but uh, um, more of a farm question. Gretchen Sharp on how to make butter three different ways. May I ask what kind of cows y'all have? When I was young, my family had both Holsteins and Jerseys, and the cream from the Jerseys was as thick as cream cheese. Mm. I think that's a cool question because we kind of tie into there a little bit. Yeah. On what kind of cows we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, we have both beef cows and we have dairy cows, but I think you're specifically asking about dairy cows in this question. And we have something that's kind of um, locally known as a black jersey. She's our second black jersey. Mm -hmm. And that is a Frisian uh, jersey mix. And a Frisian is kind of the heirloom version of a Holstein. Yep. So, so yeah. 
We've so we, had two of them, and they've both been phenomenal cows. They, they get the nice thick cream on the top. Yeah, they've, they've been our favorite cows over, you know, a half dozen or more cows we've had over the yeah. last 15 years. And um, they do. They produce a little bit more. Very, very good producer. But we still get a very good cream line. Mm-hmm. And they're not as high... Um, maintenance they don't take as much feed maintenance as say um a large swiss yeah uh cow does or even some of the guernseys um, yeah so we really really like them yeah let's see okay you want to talk sure let's one? see jennifer coats on getting that pantry full what you need to know when you stock up says josh can you please talk about bone and blood meal as chicken feed and as fertilizer is it the same stuff do you use it um and carolyn do you make those things yeah interesting so um we don't use those things for chicken feed uh blood meal is essentially just dried blood and it's going to be high nitrogen so it is good for fertilizer and the bone meal likewise if that was powdered that's high i think it's high phosphorus um going by memory here uh, along and both of them have minerals in them so they are good fertilizers um, what we do just because we raise and process so many animals as they go into the compost pile, like we were talking about earlier, they just generally go in there. And so essentially we're using them. We're just composting them as opposed to breaking them down individually, drying them and whatnot. So we take all the blood, um, some of the bones, we reuse a lot of the bones other places first. Eventually they make it to the compost pile one way or the other. But, um, and so that's what we do, but you could, I've, I've actually thought about, uh, blood meal, you can dry. Some people will take it and take that blood from butchering and dry it out and use it to sprinkle. Other people will take it and mix it with water and then actually just pour it into the it's soil. It's a one to ten part yeah. to water it down. Yep. Uh, ten parts one water. One to ten ratio. The bones are a little tougher to crack. <laughs> I've always thought, and if I had the time, I would look into actually something that would that you could break the bones down. Uh, and crack them and, and pulverize them mm-hmm. to make a powder if you wanted to specifically have them for supplements instead of just going to the compost. So you can definitely do all that stuff. It's just there's work and processes to do that, but they are um, they are valuable. Well, and as for the chicken feed part of that question, no, we don't use them for chicken right. feed. What we do, like Josh is saying, we get them in the compost, which goes in the garden, and then the chickens get a lot of the leftovers from the garden, and it kind of creates this cycle where they're getting more of the vegetative matter that has been grown using these things in the compost. You know, and it's, there's so many different ways to use things, and you have to figure out what works best on your farm with the resources as we're trying to create these loops, we're recycling and getting even multiple uses of things. So, you know, we'll, you know, talking about bones, we'll eat the meat off the bones, which have been cooked and then they'll maybe get made broth out of them. And then, mm-hmm. and then, you know, maybe they'll go to the dogs and the dogs kind of finish them off and then maybe they'll go to the compost pile. Yeah. And, but, but you try to find those loops where everything goes back in and is, is returning. And nature's really built to do that if we can use it. Right. Um, and so sometimes there's a lot of cool ideas, like taking the time to make blood meal, but is it worth your time, I guess? And you, know, you just, you have to look at your own situation and figure that out. Now you might have resources to a butcher shop and some of those things, and you don't have a lot of space, but you want some amendments for your garden. And then that could be a great resource and a great thing to do yeah. to create a nitrogen supplement or, or different things like that. So just, just take those things and it doesn't matter whether we do it or not and know that like, how do you apply the resources you have access to? to make something work and make a good recycling loop and multi, you, you know, using something multiple times, those types of thinking with the resources you have is what's really important to do. 
Yeah. I think in, in this, in this life that we're all trying to live. Let's see here. Stephen L on, I never had limes when I needed them until now. So that's a video on the whole, on fermenting whole limes as in citrus. Hmm. We've been talking about the chemical lime or lime. What, what do you call that? Is that an element? Is that a chemical lime? Powdered lime? Powdered lime. Um, it's a mineral. There well, we go. It's, That's what well, it is. it's mineral it's elements. It's usually calcium. You yeah. know, some ratio of calcium and magnesium is the okay. predominant uh, in, in well, lime, not in the fruit lime. But, yeah. Right. So we're talking about fermenting citrus limes here. And his question is? Can you keep topping up with new limes? For about two weeks, I find that you can do that while you're still in active ferments, while you're seeing bubbling and you're seeing it change, you can go ahead and add new limes in there. You do have to make sure to add new brine to the top to make sure they're all submerged. Um, but after that period, you really don't want to just stick new limes in there um, because the active ferment has died down. And, you know, when, when it's fresh and it's really active, all that bacteria is in there hunting out all the bad bacteria like it literally becomes a scavenger and goes and finds and attacks all the bad bacteria the yeast anything else that gets into there after it dies down though it's not so powerful of a ferment as far as the bacterial activity it's still got all the great health benefits going for you but um but it doesn't quite have the ability to attack of invaders in the same way, if I can put it that way. So if you drop a fresh lime in there and let's say it's got a little bit of something on it, you know, even if you washed it, it might still have a little something in there. Past that active ferment time, you may be just introducing some bad bacteria that then is going to take over and ruin your whole batch. Hmm. Um, but while it's actively fermenting, you can stick something in there and it will be quite uh, cleaned off of anything bad very quickly during that active ferment. So. Yeah. Um, Let's see, Char Organic, on getting that pantry full, what you need to know when you stock up, how are you storing your feed? And we're talking about getting the pantry full, but I assume this is, we were talking, trying to remember in that video, were we talking about storing feed as well, like outdoor feed? That's what we're talking about. I, I think she's I referring to animal feed and not people feed. I think so too, <laughs> but it, its context was the pantry full. So mm -hmm. we're going to assume you're talking about animal feed, which is not in our pantry, um, but is up in the barn. And so I guess you could say we have a giant pantry in the barn um, and we you know, we just store it open. Um, we don't have a lot of issues uh, to deal with here. It's not so humid that we're always fighting some of the moths and, and some of the larvae and things that can hatch and feed. So we're not dealing with that. Um, we actually talked about that a little bit on the last pantry chat. One or two ago, we talked a little bit about on, on you know, dealing with that situation. Um, we also have a lot of barn cats that we keep very intentionally. So they keep the mice and the critters out of the mm -hmm. feed. And we buy in bulk and because we're a little larger, we buy in, um, you know, thousand pound totes as opposed to bags. But we bought in 50 pound bags and just stored them in a dry, cool place. Uh, and dry is the key thing there. And uh, so for us, that's all out in the barn close to where we're going to use it in the winter. We get a lot of snow. So we actually did a barn addition this year to make more room to store things so that we could bulk up a little bit better and also not be tripping. We had so much crammed in the barn. It was hard to get around in. So, um, but, you know, dry, cool yeah, is good. And, uh, you know, 
Dark is good. Uh, direct sunlight, definitely, just like it deteriorates things in the pantry. If it had it, it does deteriorate hay or grain if you're getting hot sun beating down on it. So I won't say dark because you're just not going to create a dark room. But if you can protect it from, from direct sunlight as well, that is a good thing. Mm, very good. All righty. And Holly Ann on Render Your Own Lard. My son has pig fat from January 2021. If I render it today in October 2022, will it be good for a year if properly stored? Good. Nice details in that question. I like it. Uh, now, I'm assuming that the pig fat that your son has from January of 21 has been stored well wrapped in the freezer. Yeah, that's going to be really important. Big piece to that. So if you're not, if there's not an issue of freezer burn or things like that going on, then yes, you can go ahead and render it. And the um, the rendering process is really what's going to determine your shelf stableness for, uh, you know, for the next year for the actual lard. It's really important that you're getting all that moisture out. That's like key. I, I know I probably say it like 20 times in the video, but make sure you're removing all of the moisture from your lard. That's why you simmer it until you stop getting the big bubbles because the big bubbles are the water evaporating out, right? The liquid mm -hmm. coming out. And when you get hot enough, you guys all know, you go to deep fry something until you put the food in that, that fat is hot, but it is not boiling. As soon as you put something in with any moisture, that's where all those bubbles erupt, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need to get to that state where you don't have moisture in there. Um, the trick with lard is doing that without overcooking your lard. So you have to just get a low and slow, low and slow, just keeping patient. But as soon as you've got those bubbles all out of there, then you're ready to store it. So that's what's really going to handle the how long it stores for on the other side, assuming that your fat is good to start with. So no freezer burn. Um, and obviously it couldn't have been sitting out somewhere. If it was, you wouldn't It'd be so nasty, you couldn't even get close to it. It would be putrid. That's a long time in the freezer. I mean, you're talking a year and three quarters of another year. So hopefully that was wrapped really well. Um, and just, yeah, be sure. And, and in a deep freezer, not your regular freezer. Things don't keep well that long in a regular freezer. Like a chest freezer, or an upright deep freezer. Hopefully it was there. And again, like Carol mentioned, wrapped very well. Yeah. You just don't really want to mess with that if it wasn't. Now, if you look at it and you feel like, um, there is freezer burn on it. it. While it may not make great food lard, there are a lot of uses for a oh, around conditioning homestead. leather, mm -hmm. wood handle tools, cutting. Well, not even do cutting boards, but I do cutting boards. <laughs> but but I mean with the older lard. No, no, you're right. Not yeah, the older one. yeah. But you know, um, oiling things of any sort. Yeah is a great use for that. So, you know, don't count it as unusable. It needs to go to the trash, even if it's beyond food grade. It just, you need to make a differentiation between food grade and non-food grade. Label it accordingly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Very cool. Well, I know you've got to get on here. Meeting with uh, Mary from Mary's Nest in a moment. So it's been great hanging with you guys. And hopefully uh, your gardens are wrapping up and you're using into fall here uh with uh, full comfy pantries that sounds good <laughs> that's a good feeling this year huh? right. see you soon take care goodbye 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.